Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Wednesday, November 10th. Coming up on the show today, college basketball season gets underway. We've got your record-setting golden nuggets from the guys at Club & Country talking Nashville SC soccer. We will talk with John Glennon of Sports Illustrated covering the Tennessee Titans as to why this team culturally is so good at overcoming adversity. But we begin with the second installment of the college football playoff rankings. If you live in Nashville and you own a home, then you need to know the name The Kingston Group. They've been doing work in this market for a decade on people's houses, making people money and making them happy because they are trustworthy and they know what they're doing. That's it. It's not more complicated than that. BuildKG.com is the website. The Kingston Group. Give them a call. Have a conversation. You will be better for it, and I promise you that. I give you my word. That's The Kingston Group. BuildKG.com. The second edition of college football playoff rankings came out on Tuesday night, and at the top, outside of Michigan State falling four spots after losing to Purdue, everyone else, Oregon, Ohio State, Cincinnati, and Michigan, each just moved up one spot. Georgia and Alabama stayed at number one and two, an indicator of the gap that the committee continues to talk about between those two teams and the rest of college football. Number three, Oregon. Number four, Ohio State. Number five, Cincinnati. Number six, Michigan. Number seven, Michigan State. Number eight, Oklahoma, who, by the way, is still 9-0 and and behind five one-loss teams, which is silly to me. Number nine, Notre Dame. Number 10, Oklahoma State. Also, none of these teams were overly impressive last weekend, and so no one can really make the case to be ahead of Alabama, even though this is clearly not one of Nick Saban's best teams. It still might be good enough to win the SEC championship and maybe even the national title, but it's probably not even a top-five Nick Saban-Alabama team. Texas A&M jumped three spots to number 11 as the Aggies are the first two-loss team in the rankings after suffocating Auburn. Texas A&M can still win the West and get to Atlanta if Alabama loses one more time. The Aggies will face number 15 Ole Miss this weekend in a fascinating offense-defense matchup. The Rebels moved up one spot in the rankings this week. The aforementioned Auburn Tigers dropped just three spots to number 17, still a high-quality win for anyone who has beaten them or perhaps may beat them in the future. Looking at you, Bama. Mississippi State and Kentucky dropped from 17th and 18th in the rankings to completely out of the top 25 altogether. And as I expected, the Arkansas Razorbacks slipped into the top 25 at number 25, ahead of Tennessee by way of their better win, which of course was Texas A&M way back in week four. Tennessee simply doesn't have enough wins to garner top 25 consideration. They don't have a single win over a ranked team. So I don't think this Vols team should be in ahead of Arkansas. And even though stopping the rankings at 25 is the dumbest thing that this committee does each week, Tennessee fans can rest easy knowing that their team is pretty damn close. The gap between Arkansas and Tennessee is not all that great. So this Vols team is probably very close to being ranked by the playoff committee which frankly is a remarkable thing to say out loud considering where this program and roster were just four or five months ago. So there have been two questions swirling around in my head this week about the Tennessee Titans since their win over the Rams. Number one, what is it about how John Robinson and Mike Vrabel have gone about building this organization that allows them to maximize their talent and overachieve so often, doing things they're not supposed to do really? And number two, how long can that culture or identity overcome all of the issues that this offense has dealt with, namely injuries and inefficiency? 
So I thought I'd start asking as many people as possible. Today, we welcome John Glennon of Sports Illustrated to the show, and I asked him, how sustainable is this Titans' success with the obvious issues that this offense is facing? Yeah, you know, well, they, well, they keep saying and they keep telling us that even though Derrick Henry is gone, you know, we're not going to change the offense too much. You know, we might tweak it here a little bit. Um, but, but honestly, I'm not sure that approach is going to work. Now, I'll say this. I think the running game, even without Derrick Henry, will improve as, as the weeks go on. You know, what we saw on Sunday night was Adrian Peterson, who hadn't played in 10 months. We saw Deontay Foreman, who hadn't played, you know, in, in quite some time himself. And Jeremy McNichols, who's not really used to being a first or second down back. So as the new guys get more accustomed to, to the system and, and to playing games again, I think it'll prove. And we also have to look at the fact there was no Taylor Lewan. There was no Nate Davis in the lineup either. So I think that factored in as well. All that said, I think they're going to need to throw the ball more than they did. I think that's pretty much a given. And in order for that to be successful, they need to find a second consistent option besides A.J. Brown. You know, we know A.J. Brown is very good, but we also know that he is going to capture all kinds of attention uh, from opposing defenses, especially without Derrick Henry. So is that second option consistently going to be Julio Jones, uh, you know, or is it some kind of a combination of, of Nick Westbrook, Akina, Marcus Johnson, Chester Rogers, etc.? cetera. Th that's the question, but it has to be more than, than simply AJ Brown. When you look at how this team is built and I don't mean personnel wise, I mean, sort of philosophically identity, culture, cl cliche, cliche, cliche. Um, Mike Vrabel routinely gets this team to do things they probably shouldn't do. And beating the Rams is probably something they should not have done, especially the way it happened. The defensive line has been outstanding, and that covers up a lot of issues. And Derrick Henry's a freak. What, what is it about the way that this organization has been built that allows them to overachieve in, in so many spots like they did on Sunday? It's very interesting. You know, you, you constantly hear the, uh, the next man up mentality here. Well, you know, I'm sure you probably hear that on every team around the league. Everybody says next man up, but I, I think he has a way of, of, uh, you know, people believing it here more so than, than other places. Uh, you know, you look at the, the amount of injuries the Titans have had this year at key positions. Obviously, you mentioned Derrick Henry, but you look at the cornerback position. You know, you look at Taylor Lewan missing three games. Uh, you know, you look at the edge rushers have been depleted and constantly guys are stepping up and, and doing the jobs. I mean, look at what they had at cornerback uh, against the Rams on Sunday. You know, they, they had Jack Rabbit Jenkins on one side, but they had Chris Jackson, a second year, seventh round pick, who's more used to playing outside or uh, inside. He's the starting outside cornerback. And, and one after another, they seem to come through. And, you know, I think part of that, too, about Mike Vrabel is he's the guy who who loves, loves, loves to be an underdog. And so I think in some of these situations, you know, when the, when they're down healthy guys, you know, when when the, the the opposing roster looks far more talented, I think that he digs in that much more. He embraces those kind of challenges much the way we've seen him against teams like Baltimore in the playoffs against uh, the, the couple of times that he's faced Tom Brady. I think he loves those challenges. Say, we can't beat them. I'll show you we can. And, and you know, that's what he's done more often than not here. John, always a pleasure, man. Good to talk with you. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Sounds good. Thanks, Braden. That was John Glennon, of course, of Sports Illustrated, as he's recently made the move over to SI. And our first answer of the week about this question that I might just be asking for the rest of the season or as long as Vrabel and Robinson are in charge. It's just sort of what is it about what they've constructed organizationally 
that makes them successful. And, you know, the the backs against the wall, next man up, do your job mentality is certainly something that Mike Vrabel and John Robinson ascribe to. So that's a good first answer. You know, relishing the underdog role and wanting to prove people wrong is certainly an incredible motivating factor. I'd like to think that it also involves just the, the hands-on approach that Mike Vrabel takes to both leadership and tactical development of players. Uh, but we'll see what other folks have to say. Special thanks to John Glennon, now of Sports Illustrated. Go check him out. Of course, the website, All Titans. That's SI.com. It's Wednesday, and therefore time for some golden nuggets from the guys over at the Club and Country podcast, Wes Bowling and Tim Sullivan. You know on this show we like to offer up little nuggets about Nashville SC each week in an effort to make all of us better soccer fans. And this week, after the season finale, it turns out Nashville SC set two very interesting records. Nashville has tied the Major League Soccer record for most ties in a season and the MLS record for fewest losses in a year. It looked like maybe New England would also tie that MLS record with just four losses. They lost to Miami uh, on decision day. But Nashville, it's almost a, a... shot straight out of the first scene of, of Ted Lasso, right? Where they were about to tie the record for consecutive ties, except no dogs were harmed in the making of this season uh, for Nashville SC. Yeah. I'm the draws record is, is fine. It's not necessarily a negative. I know a lot of fans no. probably aren't, aren't jazzed about it, but when you couple it with the fact that NSC rarely lost this year, almost never lost tied a record for not losing. Um, it suddenly looks impressive. You get a point instead of, instead of zero points and you prevent the opponent from getting their two points with the win. I mean, you don't finish third in the conference without doing something right. And despite the fact that Nashville didn't win as many games as they probably would have liked to, they finished third in the conference, and that means something. That was Wes Bowling and Tim Sullivan of the Club and Country Podcast. Out every single Tuesday, everywhere podcasts are found. As Tim said, the draws record is sort of just a thing. But when you pair it with the fewest losses in the league, you've got a team finishing high in the table and capable of making a playoff run. Be sure to check out the Club and Country Podcast out every single Tuesday. And bonus playoff episodes dropping all the time. Of course, special thanks to the Kingston Group for bringing you this podcast every single morning for free. They are Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm, and they can be found at buildkg.com. Go talk to them. That's all I ask. In case you missed it, the college basketball season started on Tuesday. The Tennessee Volunteers won easily over UT Martin on Tuesday night in their season opener. The Vols are picked fourth in the SEC. Kentucky is the Vegas odds-on betting favorite to win the conference at plus 400. Alabama and Arkansas are plus 500, and the Vols are plus 550, with Auburn fifth place currently in the SEC, according to Vegas. The Wildcats begin the season number 10 in the rankings. Bama is number 14, Arkansas is number 16, Tennessee is number 18, and Auburn is number 22 in what should be a wide-open and fantastic SEC regular season as all of these teams atop the SEC are bringing in high-profile four- and five-star talents in basketball now. Vanderbilt is projected 12th in the SEC and is a cool plus 7,000 to win the SEC regular season championship. The Commodores open the season against Alabama State at 7 p.m. on West End on Wednesday evening. Additionally, the Nashville Predators will face the Dallas Stars in Texas on Wednesday night. Puck drop at 7.30. The Stars are currently minus 145 on the money line and are technically looking up in the Central Division standings at the Preds for now. And the 6-4 Memphis Grizzlies will host the Charlotte Hornets in Memphis Wednesday night as well. Tip time at 7 p.m. Thank you guys all for listening. Of course, we do really appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Please share the show. Tell somebody about it. That is all that we ask. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter, at Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been the 440 for Wednesday, November 10th.
The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. 